Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. I invite you, if you would, if you have your Bible with you, grab it and turn to the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, it follows right after the book of Acts. Um, Romans is, of course, one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church that was there in Rome. And the, the church in Rome was a series of house churches throughout Rome because at this time, uh, Christianity was outlawed. It was illegal, especially in uh, the, the capital city of the Roman Empire. And so there were house churches in hiding. And so Paul had delivered this letter or copies of this letter to be passed around from house church to house church. But it is also words that we have to come and understand in 2021. These are words that are meaningful to us as the church of Jesus Christ um, in America and throughout the world as well. So today being the sixth message of the Gospel to Every Home series, we've been looking at the importance of sharing the gospel, and the gospel simply means the good news. It comes from the Greek word evangelion, meaning that it is good news. It's something that is pronounced. It's usually when a war had, had ended or when victory was pronounced, it was the gospel of good news that victory had been attained. And the gospel is a message of good news that Jesus has won the war over sin. When Jesus died on the cross and when he rose from the dead, he provided a victory to all who would believe. That's why we as the church are gathered today. I don't know why you're here today. There's probably a lot of different things that compelled us to be in this room or to be on, or to be on this Facebook feed right now. But the real reason that we exist as a church is to pronounce victory and life through Jesus Christ. If that's not our main goal, if that's not our main, our main reason for existence, then we are mistaken and we're in trouble and we're kind of wasting our time really. The series has been addressing what should be known as the core value of every church, of every New Testament church, and the primary function of the Christian life, the reason we're here, the reason Jesus died was to redeem us so that we could know him and so that we could glorify him. Many people are trying to find the, the reason for life and the reason for existence. And this is the reason we're here. We are here on earth as human beings to know God because he knows us and we are known by him. But we are also here to glorify him as well. And the primary mode by which we know God is through the word of God, through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how we come to know God, that he is loving, that he is powerful, that he conquers sin, that he will forgive us of sin. But the primary mode by which we glorify him is by sharing that gospel message. We come to know him, and once we know his goodness, how can we not share it with other people? It's like withholding the antidote for the world's worst illness. It's like withholding all of those things and watching people around you suffer and perish when you know you have the antidote to give. This is what the gospel is to the church. We have the antidote for sin. We have the antidote for eternal life. And we must share it and we must give it. That's how we glorify our Father in heaven. So Paul's letter to the Romans is considered to be probably the most comprehensive New Testament explanation of salvation. Because the gospel is the message of how human, uh, humanity can be saved from our sins. 
We are all born, the Bible says, dead in our trespasses and sins, and we desperately need to be saved. We desperately need a Savior. The only reconciliation from our sin that has spiritually robbed us of life is to come to Jesus Christ. Through him, there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. So it's the most comprehensive explanation of salvation in the New Testament, and it answers that age-old question for a lot of people. Well, what is the gospel? Because through Christian history, there have been many examples of the church or Jesus' followers kind of veering from the purity and the simplicity of this gospel message that Jesus saves. And just about every time that the church, through periods of history, would veer from the true meaning of the gospel, they would be course-corrected when they returned to the book of Romans and found that salvation is found by grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone, and by his completed work on the cross. And that is what makes grace and mercy available to all of humanity. Through history, what we've been good at, what humans are good at, is messing things up. It's kind of in our nature, isn't it? Anybody just perfect in here? Nobody? Okay, good. I'm just, I'm the only one. Great. I'm just teasing. I'm not, some of you are not getting this, right? You're looking at me kind of confused. Um, but, uh, but nobody is perfect, right? The only way we are made perfect or made complete is through Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's the core value. It's a core fundamental faith of the church. And just about every time that the church would drift from that, they're course corrected by coming to the book of Romans and finding the answer is in Jesus. So I want to read just one verse this morning as our main text. And we're Looking at some other supporting verses too. But one verse at the end of Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. Now I'm going to read the verse that's kind of like piggybacked right on there on verse number 22. But then we really want to drill down into verse number 23. But now, since you have been set free from sin. So we see that Paul is speaking to believers here, right? Since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God. He said they once, we once were enslaved to sin with no other choice but to serve our flesh. But now you have the choice to serve God. You have your fruit which results in sanctification being set apart to be used by God. And then it says in verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at that one more time and let that really sink in. For the wages of sin, what we earn in our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would speak to us from your word. Open our hearts, open our souls, open our minds and our ears to what you have for us this morning as we talk about the greatest gift the world has ever known. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I can't think of two like more opposing words or that, that deliver more opposing feelings than the word death and the word gift, right? We don't like to think about death. We try everything we can to avoid it. We try to pretend that it's never going to happen to us, but death is a real factor and we know that it's there and it's looming over each of us, but we would rather focus on gift, right? How many of you like to receive gifts? You like to receive gifts? Okay. How many of you like to give gifts? You're just like, you know what? I'm just so holy. I, I, I like giving gifts more than I like to receive them. Look at how holy I am, okay? Some of us, some of us we do that. I like giving gifts. Uh, how many of you, this, this, you, you might be like me. It's hard for you to receive a gift. Anybody? It's hard to receive. When somebody gives you a gift, you're like, I don't know. Here's why I have a hard time receiving a gift. Number one, a lot of times I don't feel worthy because I'm just so humble. And then the second thing is because I wonder what kind of strings are attached to this gift. 
And you're in church, don't lie. You know that that's what you're thinking sometimes, right? Who's, who's going to hold this over? It's issues I'm working through with my therapist, all right? All right, but you know, we, we, sometimes we think gifts comes with strings attached, right? Now, how many of you know someone that's impossible to buy a gift for? They're really, really hard to give a gift to because maybe they already have everything or maybe they're really hard to please or maybe their tastes change like every other day. It's just hard to give a gift sometimes. Now, how many of you, you're that person that makes everybody scared when they get a gift from you because you give gifts with strings attached? Mm-hmm. You're the reason that some people are struggling right now. Mm-hmm. See? See, like, it's like 10 years later, and you're like, you know what? I never see you wear that shirt that I got you 10 years ago anymore. What's wrong? Do you not love me anymore? You know, you know how it is, right? See, here's what I have a problem with. I, I like to give gifts, but I struggle with giving gifts because I have talked about this before. I'm a perfectionist at heart. I want everything to be in its place. I want every, if I do something, I want it to be done right. And I really have a hard time if, it, if, if I mess up or if I flub up, I have a hard time admitting when I mess up. So here's the thing. When I give a gift, I want it to be the gift. I mean, uh, you can sit around and it's somebody's birthday or it's Christmas, and of all the gifts that are given, they open yours, and it's like light from heaven shines out of that box. And it's like, I never knew what life was until I received this gift that you gave me, Derek. Anybody else like that? This is the kind of way I want to give gifts. I want the, one, the gift that I give to be so perfectly extravagant that it's remembered and talked about for birthdays and Christmases to come. I want the one that's so perfectly practical that it's used every day and appreciated every day and the gift receiver is like, my life has been made better by Derek's gift. I want that gift to be so perfectly sentimental that it moves everyone in the room to tears at how wonderful of a gift giver I am. And when you come down to it, it's not necessarily about my perfectionism, it's really about the pride involved, isn't it? Because we want that gift to be tied to us to remember who gave it. And a lot of times that's what gifts are for us. Gifts tie us to the giver. When we see that gift, when we use that gift, when we remember, we're like, oh, I remember who gave that to me and I appreciate that gift and it makes us appreciate that person as well. See, I put a lot of pressure on giving the greatest gift and so what it causes me to do, I overanalyze and I think and I stress and the day comes to finally give the gift and I'm like, I overanalyzed and I thought this thing to death and I never actually went out and got the gift. Anybody else do that? See, gifts can bring a lot of stress. Gifts can also bring a lot of love. Gifts can do a whole lot of things. This morning, we're looking at our text, which talks about, specifically, the gift of God. Now, when God does something, he doesn't do it halfway. When God does something, he is perfect, and he is righteous, and there is no error in him. So every gift he offers and every gift he gives is perfect. It is perfectly sentimental. It is perfect perfectly practical, and it is perfectly and completely extravagant. And when the Bible says this morning that the wages of sin, what we earn and what we work for in our sin will only lead to death, the Bible says there is a gift that's been provided by God, and that gift is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life in heaven and presence of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit walking with us and living with us and indwelling us for all of eternity is a gift from God that we can't earn on our own because as much as we try, we're going to fall in sin. And that sin is going to lead to death, but God's gift is perfect. God's gift is extravagant and God's gift is available to all of us. But Paul also makes it very clear as well that this gift is very precious. This gift is precious, and it's precious because of the one who gives it. It's also precious because of what it provides. 
So the gospel of salvation, and this is just simply the title this morning, the gospel of salvation is the greatest gift that the world has ever known or ever will know. So I want to look at three things this morning about the gift, this gift of God that we have to understand as a church, getting ready to take that gift out into a community that may not even realize their need for it yet. That as a church of Jesus Christ, listen, we're not going to be passionate about sharing the gospel if the gospel is not a passion to us. And as believers who have been changed and saved by the message of the gospel, it should be a passion to us. It really should. So the first thing we have to understand, this gift of salvation is so great because it fills our greatest need. This gift of salvation is so great because it fills our greatest need. Now, nobody likes a useless gift, right? We've all gotten gifts like that before where you look at it and you're like, oh, you really shouldn't have. And, and what you're meaning is you really shouldn't have because I'm never going to use this. This is why return labels were printed out in the first place, right? Because most people, and this is why after Christmas, the return lines are so big and Amazon workers are constantly coming back to the same houses they delivered the stuff to like a couple weeks or a couple months before and they're having to pick them up and take them back. Because sometimes we give gifts that just don't hit the way they should. Sometimes we give gifts that end up to the receiver being useless. Raise your hand if you've ever received an unnecessary gift. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to the person that gave you. No, I'm just teasing. Don't do that. I don't want to cause any, any problems, right? You open the gift. You're like, oh, you really shouldn't have. And immediately the wheels are turning because you know they're looking at you thinking, what's their reaction going to be? And so you're like, you know, you love the person. You're not trying to, you, you don't want to hurt their feelings or anything. So you're like, man, you really shouldn't have done that. So I typed useless gifts into the search box on Amazon. And I got seven, over 7,000 matches. Over 7,000 matches to uh, useless gifts. I want to show you uh, some pictures of some of the, the, the really good ones. First of all, you see this one here. Go ahead and throw that up on the screen. That, yeah, uh, you could get a mail-a-face potato for $15.99 off of Amazon. That includes tax and shipping off of anonymouspotato.com. See, I'm helping you out. If you want to give this as a gift, just go right to that website and you're ready to go. What it is is basically, it's a potato with a sticker of your picture on it. I don't know if anyone has use for that. I, I just, I don't, maybe you got them an air fryer and you wanted your face to be the first fries they fried. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that was one. Who doesn't want that, right? Um, the second one, this is, this is fantastic. It just keeps getting better. The, the, the Archie McPhee, because, so it's designer, it's a designer gift, and it is the handy squirrel. And what it is, is just pieces of a squirrel you put on your hand to make it a squirrel. Anybody find need for that? $11.03. Because that's the going rate for the handy squirrel. You can get that at Amazon. And if you're a Prime member, it can be shipped to you for free. All right. You can get that in just a couple of days. The third thing was, uh, this is awesome, a can of dehydrated water. All right. All you have to do is add water and it rehydrates itself. All right. $14.99 at Walmart. And we're all kind of like, you know, we're still coming out of COVID. We're kind of wondering, is everything going to collapse? Now, maybe if it was a can of dehydrated gas right now, that'd be awesome, right? But a can of dehydrated water. So, and some of you, you're going to get that around lunchtime. You're going to be like, that sounds kind of cool, some dehydrated water until you hit, it hits you. It's, it's just air, man. It's just air. It's not even holy air. It's just air. My favorite one is the next one, the book of 101 dad jokes. $5.99 plus tax and shipping, or if you're a Prime member at Amazon, you can have your hands on that. This is the most useless gift of all time to every dad because real dads don't need a book of jokes because they're intrinsically given as a gift from God. <laughs> Am I right? Can I get a witness there? That's not a use. That's a useless gift to every good dad, right? You don't need that because you can come up with them on your own. 
See, everybody's gotten useless gifts, but salvation never has been and never will be a useless gift. And I realize there may be a lot of people in our modern culture who think that the story of the gospel and what we're doing today in worshiping him and what Wilma's getting ready to do in just a moment by, by following him in beautiful believer's baptism is just a bunch of made-up fairy tales that's been a useless tale told for all time. But for those of us who have been changed by the gospel, you know that it is not a useless gift. It is the most useful gift the world has ever known. There is nothing you have received in life that is greater than the gift that God has offered through Jesus Christ. It's the most useful and necessary gift because it's the most widely needed because of our sin. The Bible tells us that sin is what separates us from God. And many people ask, well, really, what is sin when you think about it? We ask, we ask this question for a lot of different reasons. Some of us don't want to admit that we have sin in our lives. Some of us want to think that God is just too, is, is just too picky and all he cares about is his laws and lording over us. And so he created this thing called sin to make us live in fear. But the simplest answer is that sin is our rebellion against God's intended plan and his desire for us. It's to miss the mark of God's standard. Back in the days of the medieval tournaments, back when knights would come to, to, uh, to Camelot and they would ride and they would joust with one another and have these tournaments, they would have archery tournaments and if they missed the mark when they shot the bull, at the bullseye, the judge would cry out sin, which meant they missed the mark. This is our understanding and concept of sin. God has set this mark in perfection of, of, of perfection and blamelessness. And each time we sin, we miss that mark. And the Bible says that it's not just a few. The Bible says that it's not a good majority. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned, it says, and fall short of the glory of God. And this is just a fact that we try to avoid, we try to ignore, we try to justify our way around. We try to think, well, we're living in a more modern society, so some of the things that maybe used to be sin are not sin today. Folks, God's will and desire for us has always been the same because it's always been perfectly loving. The reason he desires righteousness for us is because he knows that righteousness leads to our joy and our peace. Not because it restricts us or because he wants to show that we, that he wants to see how much loyalty we have to him. His law for us, his desire for us is for our good and for our benefit. See, to admit that I'm a sinner means that there's a God who calls the shots. It admits that I desperately fall short of his goodness and his righteousness. But here we see that all of us have sinned. And because of that sin, we do fall short of his glory. No matter how much we want to justify it, no matter how much we want to try to minimize God's role or minimize that God even exists. If God exists, then sin exists. And sin lives and resides in each one of our hearts. So what are we going to do about that sin? The answer is we can't do anything. Only God could. We've missed his mark, and that means that the gift of salvation is necessary for all of us. The gift of salvation is so perfectly practical because every one of us needs salvation. Sin has caused a couple of things in our lives. Sin has caused an enslavement. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he says, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is therefore now a slave of sin. We have no choice but to serve sin in our flesh and our sinful desires as our master. And understand this, that sin is a terrible, deadly, unfair master. It will chew us up. It will spit us out. It will make us think that everything is wonderful for a little while, but eventually that sin debt has to be paid. 
So it brings about enslavement, but it also brings about a condemnation before a perfect and holy God. In John chapter 3, in verse number 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his son to save the world through him. So for many who think that God is just some, some picky judge sitting up in heaven trying to find everything you've done wrong, listen, he doesn't have to look very far. He doesn't have to look for long because one sin cancels, cancels every bit of life out, cancels all the perfection. He's not sitting in heaven waiting for us to fail. He's sitting in heaven looking for ways to redeem us through Jesus Christ. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him will not be condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. So please hear this well. God doesn't want to hold us in condemnation. He's not looking for ways to condemn us. We did that ourselves. He says we're already condemned. His desire is to pull us from that pit of condemnation, to pull us from that pit of death into a solid rock where we can stand in life eternal, forgiven of our sins, brought near to him through Jesus Christ. This is what makes the gift of salvation so necessary because every single one of us are born sinking in that pit. We're born already condemned. But we also understand that it's so practical because of the sentence that sin carries. Not only the condemnation and the enslavement, but the sentence that it carries. Just like with any condemned person, they have to carry out a sentence. And salvation is such a necessary gift because it releases us from the sentence of death. We see that in our text again. If you still have your Bible open to Romans 6, for the wages of sin is what? Help me out. Death. What we earn from death, what that master of sin gives us in our enslavement to it is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is the most necessary, most significant gift the world has ever known and it is offered to everyone who needs it and anyone who would believe it. So the thing is, is that we all need this gift. It's necessary for every one of us. So while we may have been given our fair share of useless gifts in the world, we may have gotten our cans of dehydrated water at times, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation is not dehydrated water. It is like we looked at last week with the Samaritan woman. It is living water that overflows from our spirit and gives us eternal life. And he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And once you receive that gift, you don't have to renew it. You don't have to upgrade it. It is perfect to seal you for eternity. That's our gift of salvation. The question is, do you know for sure that you possess this gift? Have you received this gift? It has been offered to everyone who would believe. But will you believe? See, there are those within our community who need this gift desperately. There are those that you're watching right now or you're here this morning. I have to believe that anytime we gather, there is probably somebody in the room or under the sound of the gospel that needs this gift or needs to be reminded of what this gift has done. So we must make the world aware of that. The second thing as we move through, as we move through these points is the gift of salvation also reveals God's great nature. The reason that salvation is such a great gift is because it reveals the great nature of God. I like to receive, I like to give sentimental gifts. I like sentimental gifts, but there's something that comes attached to a sentimental gift. It's the person who gives it. That's what usually makes the gift so sentimental. 
Have you ever received a sentimental gift? We've all probably received one of those. But it's sentimental because of the person that it comes from or the person that it's tied to. You see, it's sentimental because of the love that the recipient has for the giver. This is what most of our moms and dads feel like on, mom, on Mother's Day and Father's Day, right? The gift that your kids give you is special because it came from your kids. The handmade cards, the, the ties, the, you know, all the different things that they give. It's special to us because it came from our kids and from our, those hands that we helped to create. It's also sentimental because the love that the giver has for the recipient makes it great. Have you ever received a gift from somebody and your reaction was, I didn't know that you cared this much. Maybe it's from a friend or a coworker or somebody like that, and they give you this gift and it's just got this sentimental attachment. You know that there's so much thought that went into it, and you're like, I didn't know that you cared. It makes it sentimental because it, it, it communicates the love that the giver has for the recipient. You see, God's love is overflowing with grace and mercy. This is God's great nature for us. Is that as a perfect and righteous and holy God who knows no sin, who can't be a party to sin when he looks at us as humans, which we've already established that we are sinners, every last one of us. When he looks at us completely opposite in nature from him, his nature is not to shun us and say, you're not like me, so I'm gonna go out and find someone who is. His nature is to say, I'm going to give the greatest part of me so that you can become like me. I'm gonna give my son so that you can have my righteousness and his righteousness imputed on you and you can be saved. And all that sin that separates us is now separated and that mountain that stood in the way of us is now gone and you and I can be together for eternity. That's God's great nature because he loves us. Did we deserve it? No. What did we deserve? Remember, remember our text? What do we deserve because of our sin? Death. But what does he offer us because of his great nature of love and mercy? He offers us eternal life. He offers us Jesus Christ. He offers us a home in heaven with him. We, can't, we cannot misunderstand how good his nature is. Salvation reveals to us that God is loving and he is merciful in his nature towards us. In John chapter 3 verse 16 the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only or his begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal and everlasting life. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. And then it says later on in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler over the power of the air, according, uh, according to all of that. He says this, he says, The spirit was then working in you to be disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. We carried out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. That's the slavery that we were talking about from Romans. This is, we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also, but God. Circle that word if you've got your Bible and you like to say, but God. Whenever you see but God, that means God's sovereignty and his power and his authority intervenes in the natural way of things, in the way we messed it up. When it says but God, it means God's fixing something we broke. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. So the gospel of salvation proves that God loves us. 
And a lot of people today look at the church, look at God's people, and what they think and what they see and what sometimes I believe we show is that if we're showing God's nature by the way we act, God must be hateful. Church, we cannot, we must not ever get into the idea that we are better than, we have some sort of, 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 of better, some better value to us simply because of Jesus. No, we're sinners saved by grace. We messed it up, but God. This is the beauty of the gift of salvation. Many people will ask this, if God is so good and loving, then how can he let all these bad things happen in the world? And we've lived through the past year or more seeing a lot of bad things go on. A lot of things that make people question, if there is a God, I don't know if he's loving anymore. Because if he was loving, he would stop all of these things from happening. If God's so loving, then why did my loved one die of cancer or COVID? Why did I lose my job? Why did my parents get divorced? Why did God allow me to be abused when I couldn't defend myself? Why did my child die? And I don't say all these things to just be overly dramatic. I say all of these things because I've sat in, in, in a living room or in an office or across the table in a coffee shop and listened to real people share these real examples from their real life. Look, the question is not whether the world is broken. The question is whether it can be fixed and whether we can be fixed. And the only way we can be fixed is through Jesus Christ. Amen. The only way the brokenness is ever brought into the proper perspective is through the love and great mercy of our God and our Savior. See, life is full of, full of pain and agony and unspeakable and unfair trauma, and it can leave you broken and jaded, wondering how in the world is God loving when all of this junk is happening around us? If God loved me, why doesn't he stop it? Here's what the Bible teaches us. We started this process through sin, but God doesn't stop the process. He redeems the process. He redeems us, and he's with us through the process. God doesn't cause the pain but he will redeem it. This is the gift of the gospel, that I didn't cause your pain. I hate the fact that you're in pain and I'm going to cause pain upon my own son so that your pain can be redeemed. This is the love and the mercy of God. From the moment that sin entered into the world, he's only been in the business of redeeming that pain. He's been only been in the business of redeeming that hurt and that brokenness brought on by the fall and the wages of our sin. See, we live in a world where sin has its way right now. Sin is left to just kind of run rampant. But in the middle of that is that hope of the gospel that says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. You will find rest in Jesus. You will find rest in me and me alone. And here's the extent of God's loving nature. He loves you and he cares about your pain. A loving God cares about your pain, but a great loving God cares about and redeems your pain. He does something about it. But an infinitely great and loving and awesome God not only cares about my pain, not only redeems my pain, but he offers me salvation and the promise of a better day when all of this will make sense and all of this will be made right in his power and in his time. That's the gift that we have in salvation. But you see, salvation is not just a gift for a, a, a wonderful future someday. It's a gift for right now. Because when we get saved, it's not just to reserve my space in heaven. It's I have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living with inside of me now. I am not alone. And once you are saved, you are never alone again. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And he's constantly there. And some of you, I see you nodding your head and for the first time in a while, see you smiling because you've experienced that in your life. And you know it's true. 
So when you come to find God's loving nature, it will change. It changes everything. Grace is, the, is a game changer for us. See, by salvation, it's not just a gift for a future someday. It is a gift for right now. And Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, he says, Behold, I stand at the door, and we think it's the door of your heart, and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come in, and I will eat with him, and I will fellowship with him, and he with me. Did you catch that? He's with me. God's, God's salvation, the gift of salvation is so wonderful and so great because it reveals his great nature. That a God so infinitely majestic, a God so infinitely holy lowers himself to sit at the table and be with me. When I didn't bring anything to the table myself. That's the beauty and the wonder of the gift of salvation. So the question is, have you received that gift? He's knocking at that door. Have you opened that door? Has there been a time in your life where you have trusted him and received that gift? Because as we, as we move to the last point, the greatest gift of salvation is so great because it provides us with the greatest opportunity. Have you ever received an extravagant gift? A gift that just blows you away and you're like, oh my goodness, there is no reason I should be receiving this right now. It takes our breath away for a minute and we know that the giver went above and beyond the call of duty. You see, an extravagant gift makes everyone take notice. Everyone in the room kind of goes, whoa, didn't know that was coming. And it demands our attention. Extravagant gifts are usually flashy. There's something that is costly maybe or something that's unexpected, kind of like a big diamond ring at a proposal that you didn't know was coming or a new car on your 16th birthday. I hope no soon-to-be 16-year-olds are getting any ideas sitting in this room right now. But sometimes extravagant gifts are defined by the sacrifice that it requires. What makes gifts and what makes the salvation so extravagant is because of the sacrifice that it requires. It is also flashy because it is a gift none of us deserve. And it's extravagant because of the eternal life that it offers, but also because of the sacrifice that it requires. Maybe like a donated organ when a life is on the line. Something like that. We see that replicated in humanity a little bit. There's a story of a teenage girl who had had an accident. She fell at the house or something like that, and she had an issue where she couldn't clot her blood, and so she lost more blood than she should have. And she had some internal bleeding going on. And so the parents had rushed to the emergency room. And the doctors came out after having her in the OR for a little while. And they said, we have stabilized her. But because of her condition, she's going to need an entire blood transfusion. The problem is that she has a very rare form of blood type. And we don't have any on supply here in the entire city. The only thing that we can do is test you and your family to see if anyone is a match for her type of blood. And so all, the, the entire family was tested. And the only one that was a match was her little second grade brother. And her second grade brother, they came up to her and they said, they told their son, they said, listen, son, your sister is in bad shape. And the doctors are telling us that if you don't give her your blood, she's going to die. We can't make you do it. But we want you to think about doing this. It will save your sister's life. The little boy looked down at the ground for a little while and he said, I need to think about this for a minute. The doctor said, well, that's fine, son, but you don't have long to think. Please think quickly. And he walks away and he comes back after like 30 seconds. He's got tears in his eyes and he says, if my sister needs my blood to live, I'll give it. And he threw his arms around his mom and around his dad and he gave them the biggest hug that they've ever had in their life. And the doctor said, well, son, 
we appreciate your bravery, and we've got to do this now. So they take him back, and the orderlies get him ready. They get him in his gown. They do all that stuff, and they begin to explain the process of the blood transfusion. They're going to put a little bit of needle in there, and then they're going to see the blood begin to come out into the tube and all of that. And he says, okay. He's being very, very quiet. And it happened to be in a room where it was through glass that he could see his sister laying on the table over there, and she, had, she wasn't responsive or anything. And he looked over, and as they stuck that in, and the blood began to flow out of the tube, he looked over, and a tear began to form in his eyes. He looked at his sister, and he looked at the nurse standing beside him, and he said, how long before I die? And then it hit the nurse. This little boy, through all of this explanation, nobody explained to him that it wasn't going to kill him to let her have some of his blood. He went into that room. He took the needle. He was going, he thought, I'm giving my life for my sister to live. That's an extravagant gift, isn't it? And as the nurses and the doctors began to explain, oh, son, you're not going to die. You're just letting her borrow some of your blood. He's like, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. He said, because, you know, she yelled at me right before she fell down. I was kind of mad at her. And I didn't know why mom and dad wanted her instead of me. You know, he started joking about it. Talk about something you can hold over your sibling for the rest of your life. I mean, I thought I was going to die for you. You know, I mean, you're never going to win another argument. But you see, this is kind of an earthly example of what God did for us. When our sin created the need for salvation, the need was for his son's blood to be shed so we could live. And that's why the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Jesus died on the cross, he was laying out on the cross, shedding his blood to cover all of us because we are all in need of a blood transfusion. His sinless blood for our sin-sick blood. The beauty of this all is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered sin and the grave. And when God gave the gift, it was given freely to us. But don't un understand, we talk about the free gift of salvation. Don't misinterpret a free gift for freely provided because it cost God everything. God emptied heaven of all of its glory. God emptied heaven of all of its forgiveness and wrapped it up in the Son, Jesus Christ, and he gave himself broken and spilled out for us, holding nothing back. Salvation is a costly gift. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God proved his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we have to realize just how much God paid to make salvation available and so it leaves us with this question. And, and understand the extravagance. See this right here in the last part of our text. These last four words. If you ever question the extravagance of salvation, if you ever question the magnitude of the gift of God, understand these last four words in this verse. Christ died for you. Christ, the treasure of heaven, the only son of God, paid the ultimate price when he died. He paid a debt that he didn't owe for us because we couldn't pay it. And we couldn't even afford a down payment on it. So this morning as we close out, the question is, have you received this gift? So I'm going to ask for just a moment, whatever position, whatever attitude you puts you into being a prayerful attitude, where you're shutting everything out and focusing on God, bowing heads, closing eyes, whatever it takes, as you focus on God, ask yourself this question, have I received that gift? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not through my works. It's not through the good things I do. It's not through the amount of money I give to my church. It's through Jesus Christ and what he gave for you. Have you received that gift? And if not, what's standing in the way of that gift, of you receiving that gift today? Because a gift is only useful if we receive it. That gift is available. God is reaching that gift out through Jesus Christ to everyone who would believe. But it's only useful if we receive it. And the Bible says how we receive it is, if we will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. That if we will admit that we have sinned, that we will admit that we have a need. We, we've looked at this. We've looked, the wages of sin is death. And if you come to understand your need for him, the only thing left to do is call on him. So as I pray, the Bible says if we would just call on him, we call on him by praying. The Bible says if we would be saved, we must admit, we must believe, and we must call. If you believe that Jesus is a savior and you want him to be your savior today, would you call on him today? To say something like, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I need you. And I'm asking you now and I'm trusting you to save me putting my faith in you for my salvation, for eternal life. And I also want to serve you as well. The Bible says if we call upon him, he will save us. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. If you've never trusted him, please do. If you're watching this virtually this morning, you can go to our website at gracewaylex at gmail.com and say, hey, I need to talk to somebody about how to be saved. But it's so simple. Admit that we're sinners. Believe on Jesus. Call upon him to be saved. You may pray a prayer like this. As we bow our head and we close our eyes, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, if you would call upon Jesus in this way, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you that you gave Jesus to be my Savior. I realize that my sins are great and they've separated me from you. And today I'm putting my faith in Jesus and what you did on the cross. And I'm asking you to be my Savior. Be my Lord. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.